0: Welcome back to the Grand Valley Church Podcast, a community of faith in Brandon, Manitoba. We hope this message helps you meet Jesus and grow in faith. So we're in this series called Simple Church, and we're actually wrapping up the series today. This is the fourth week of the series, and we've been talking about how do we remove the complexity out of church? How do we, how can we take following Jesus and break it down into what's simple? Because if, if maybe if, if you're newer to church, or maybe this is kind of the first time in a long while, oftentimes we may have kind of a whole, whole group of expectations about what we think church will be like, or what we think we have to do, or what we think we have to be. But really at the core, it's about Jesus. Jesus. And really, at the core of following Jesus, it's about choosing to, choosing to follow him, choosing to put our trust in him, choosing to be with him. And so that's what we've been doing in this series is trying to break away some of the complexity and get down to what's simple. And so if you're just joining us for the first time, thank you for being here. Thank you for coming and checking out this place. And I hope that you'll encounter God through this morning, through everything we've been doing here and through the service. And just to kind of catch everyone up, we started this by talking about everyone can grow That following Jesus is a life focused on our lives growing, on our lives being transformed. That wherever we're at when Jesus finds us, he doesn't want to leave us there. He wants to bring us on a journey closer to him. And then we talked about how everyone can find community. That our faith is not meant to be a solo sport. It's not meant to be something we just do on our own. But God designed us to live in community with one another because when we walk together together, we're able to go further, we're able to walk for longer, we're able to be there to care and support one another through difficult times, and we're able to speak into each other's lives, and we can grow together in a community. And then last week, we talked about how everyone can pray, that prayer is communicating with God. And it's something that if we want to have that deep relationship with God, if we want to find the relationship with God that we've just been singing about, we have to communicate with Him, and prayer is what leads us into that. But underneath all of this, and I've been starting every message of this series this way, is this basic foundation, the most simple truth underneath all of our faith is this, that God loves you our faith is based on this, that God loves us. We don't earn his love. We don't deserve his love. We can't make God love us any more or any less than he already loves us. And love is the foundation for all of it. Love is what draws us closer and closer to him. Why? God saw fit to step into the world as Jesus, to make a path for us to be in a relationship with him. And in our scriptures, in the letter to the Ephesian church, Paul is describing this whole thing about God's plan, of how he chose to come to earth to bring heaven down, all the things that we were just singing about this morning. And Paul tells the Ephesian church, this is his prayer. This is what he prays for. And he says, when I think of all this, when I think about how God draws us toward him, Paul says, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he would empower you with inner strength through his spirit. He says, then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And here's the part I want us to focus on. He says, and may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. This is Paul's prayer for them, and he doesn't stop there. He, sa- he continues for one more verse. He says, may you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great for us to understand fully, but then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. This is Paul's prayer for the church, that we would experience his love, that we would understand how God loves us, and that as we do that, we would receive the fullness of life and power that God wants us to have. And so we've been talking about this through all of our series. When we started with everyone can grow, we have to grow with love. Because if we try to grow and we don't have love in our lives, all we're doing is focusing more on ourselves. All we get is more of me. But when we see growth with love, when we see growth through the lens of how deeply God loves us, that's where we find the Christ-like transformation. That's where we see our lives being shaped to become more like Jesus. And we talked about community. It's the same thing. If we have community without love, we end up with just shallow friendships that don't weather through anything. But when we have community with love, We find nurturing and caring groups. We find people that walk together through thick and thin that encourage and build each other up. And even in prayer, prayer without love is a checklist. It's just a list of things to get through. But prayer, when we understand how deeply God loves us, becomes this communicating with God that he desires and calls us to. And so today we're wrapping up this series with our fourth thing that everyone can do, and that is everyone can serve. And this one follows the same pattern because if we try to serve without love in our hearts, we actually will grow resentful of the people that we're serving. But when we have God's love, when we recognize how deeply God loves us, that everything he's done is because of his love, when we go to serve, we find the fulfillment and purpose that Paul was just talking about in that prayer. So everyone can serve. So what is serving, and why are we talking about this? Well, serving is doing someone for someone else. That's kind of the basic, doing something for someone else, but it's with no intention or expectation of compensation. Serving is when we give of ourselves, when we do something expecting nothing in return. It's not done to get a favor back. It's not done to make someone feel like they have to do something for you. It's not done to get something in return. It's done out of love as a way of caring for someone else, as a way of building into their lives. And usually when we think of serving, we think of it as an action. It's something we do. But the way scripture presents serving is that it is a way of life. It is more than just something you do or don't do. It is an attitude of how we live our lives. And we're going to spend some time today in the Gospel of Matthew. There's four accounts of Jesus' life in our New Testament right at the beginning, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Matthew was written by one of Jesus' disciples, and he tells us about the things that Jesus did And there's this one point in Jesus' ministry where this exchange happens that we look at and we kind of go, well, maybe it makes us feel better because even the disciples didn't have it all together. Even the guys that walked with Jesus, they made mistakes. And so in Matthew 20, verse 20, is where we pick up this story. Then the mother of James and John, two of Jesus' disciples, known as the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus with her sons. She knelt respectfully to ask a favor. What is your request, Jesus asked them. And so the mother of James and John's replies, In your kingdom, please let my two sons, James and John, sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. Now, this might seem like a strange request to us. And what her, what she's coming and asking Jesus for is she's saying, I want my two sons to be first and foremost in your kingdom. I want them to be above all other disciples. Now, Jesus responds in an interesting way because Jesus doesn't just respond to the mother. Jesus responds to all of them and kind of makes you realize that this probably wasn't her question. Her sons put her up to this, and they're like, well, maybe if mom makes this request for me, Jesus will say yes. That's probably what was happening in this passage. And so Jesus answers them by saying this, you don't know what you're asking, are you able to drink the bitter cup of suffering I'm about to drink? And at this point in Jesus' ministry, Jesus has already been telling his disciples that he is going to be arrested, that he is going to be crucified, he's going to be killed and executed. And he keeps telling them at the same time, I'm going to raise from the dead. And this is the proof of why my father has sent me. This is the proof of why I've come into the world. But the disciples hadn't fully gathered that yet. And so Jesus uses this metaphor. He says, this bitter cup of suffering, I'm about to drink. And he says, oh, yes, they replied, James and John. Notice the mother drops out of the picture at this point. James and John say, oh, yes, we are able. And Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup but he uses it differently in this verse because he's actually talking about, yes, you will face persecution. In fact, our our scriptures tell us later in the book of Acts that James was killed by the sword. He was martyred for his faith. And the church tradition and the literature of the first century tells us that even though John escaped with his life several times, he was persecuted and tortured to within an inch of his life, but somehow God kept him alive. They experience the bitter cup, but it's a different bitter cup because it is not the one that Jesus had to take. So Jesus says to them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup. You will indeed face persecution and hardships and difficulties. And then Jesus says, but I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. My father has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. Jesus says, no, no, this is actually God the father's responsibility to choose this. Now here's where the story gets Interesting. And here's the part that we're going to focus on. When the 10 other disciples heard what James and John came to Jesus to ask, they were indignant, they were jealous, they were envious, they were angry. How could you go and ask Jesus for you two to be above all the rest of us? What makes you think you're so... Like, we can only imagine that, like, the level of how upset they would be in this. And so Jesus says, hey, this is a teaching opportunity. And so he calls them all together, and he says, you know that the rulers of this world lord it over their people and that officials flaunt their authority over those under them. See, James and John were asking for positions of authority. And Jesus says to them, no, no, you know how authority works in this world. You know that authority means you can do whatever you want. You, mean, you know that authority means you can rule over people for your own benefit. And then Jesus says this, but among you it will be different Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. Now I don't want to get us caught up on a word there, because Jesus is not endorsing slavery in this passage, but he is drawing a comparison because slavery in the first century was different than the slavery of the sixteenth, the nineteenth Atlantic slave trade that we're more familiar with today. And when Jesus makes this comment about whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave, they would have understood this in terms more like an indentured servant. Someone who had pledged their life to a master and would say, I will work for you in exchange for you providing housing and food for me. In fact, slaves in the first century could actually own property. And depending on their classification uh, and, and where they were from, many of them were able to by their own freedom, and were able to work towards that as a goal. And in fact, the church, the early church, was so radical in their culture of the day because they included people who were classified as slaves as fully equal before Christ. In fact, Paul writes about this in his letter to the Galatian church, about how before Christ, there is no distinction between slave or free. So let's not get caught up on that, but what Jesus is calling his followers to, when he says, whoever wants to be a leader must be a servant, and whoever wants to be first must become your slave, Jesus is calling his disciples to choose a way of life focused on serving others first, to choose a perspective, to choose a way of saying that what we do for others matters more than what we do for ourselves, that serving matters and then Jesus continues, and there's one more verse in the story. Jesus says, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. See, out of anyone who has ever lived, Jesus is the one who actually would have the right to say, you all should serve me. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to him. He actually is the only one who could have the right to say, all of you must serve me and I will rule over you. But that's not the perspective that Jesus had. Jesus came and he lives this way even today to say he came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. See, when we choose a posture of serving— It means that we take that posture of an indentured servant, that no matter what request your master asks of you, no job is beneath you. Choosing a perspective of serving is choosing to say, I'll take the low place. I'll take the place that builds and elevates other people. I'll choose that position. I'll choose that perspective because that is what builds up and encourages others. That is what builds up and strengthens the church. But even serving actually benefits us. And this isn't a way that we say, well, we serve in order to receive. But when we serve, serving does something to our mentality. It does something to our perspective. And we start to experience shifts in our lives when we take this perspective that Jesus did of serving others first. And one of the first things that serving does is that it kills selfishness. It's not possible to remain in a selfish me-first mindset And serve others genuinely at the same time. In fact, as we serve others, as we choose to make other people more important, as we choose to equip and build up others, we can't help but let our selfishness slide and slip away. And this is one of the ways that serving intersects with what we talked about at the beginning, where everyone can grow, that the the act of serving helps us to grow in our transformation to become more like Jesus, more like who he calls us to be. One of the other things that serving does is it helps us find and live in our passions. Now, some of us in the room here, maybe you've been lucky enough, you've figured out how to take something you're passionate about and turn that into a career, to turn that into a job. And many of you know that I wasn't always a pastor. I had a, a couple different jobs and career options and things that I did before ministry. And one of those things was I, I used to design houses, spend all day drawing blueprints. And, and I was an architecture student and then I designed houses for a couple of years. And it was the kind of job that, Uh, Now, I was also younger and much more immature then, but every morning when I walked through the doors into work, it felt like a piece of my soul was dying. It felt like a piece of me was just like, you know, gone. Like, I thought this was going to be my dream. This is what I trained for. This is what I studied for. This is what I want to do. And by the second week of my work placement, I'm like, I need out. I need out. I need out. And then they offered me a job and I'm like, well, I don't have anything else to do, so I'll take the job. And then I did that for two years. And every Time I went into work, it just killed me, and I was so deeply unsatisfied. But there was one thing in my life at the time that I was actually passionate about, something that made me feel fulfilled. And back then, that this was actually before we had this building up here, and so our church used to meet at the Vic in every Sunday. And so every Sunday morning, there was a group of people would show up at 6 a.m. and unload trailers, set up lights, set up a sound system, haul all the stuff to the kids' classrooms, and that was where I found my fulfillment because I was one of our sound guys and also if I wasn't behind the board, I was usually on stage playing guitar as part of the team and that is when I found my fulfillment. That is what I was passionate about and I was coming to terms with this perspective that my job was never going to fulfill me But how it enabled me to serve, have weekends free, to be able to set my alarm clock for 5 a.m. because I lived out of town so I could get here for 6 and we wouldn't leave here till 1.32 o'clock after tearing everything down. That is what I was passionate about. That is where I chose to find what gave me meaning, where I felt alive, where I felt it mattered. And I was just making peace with that, with God of saying, okay, I'm just going to work a job and this is where I'm going to find my fulfillment. See, when we serve, we can actually live in the places that fulfill us. We can live in what we're passionate about when other parts of our lives don't actually meet that need. And when we do this, when we dig into our passion, it helps us to actually see what God has wired us to be passionate about. In fact, you might think, well, yeah, Brian, but now you're in ministry. Now you're a pastor. Now this is your job that you're passionate about. And yeah, I am thrilled that I get to do this. But one of the commitments that I made to myself and that I made to God when I became part of the staff at the church here was that I would always choose a certain percentage of things that were not part of my role description. And I'm not even going to tell you what these things are, but there is always a percentage of things that I do here that I say, this is not Brian the pastor. This is Brian volunteering and serving because I'm still deeply passionate about the church, not just Grand Valley, but the church as a whole and how the body of Christ can reveal Jesus to those who need to see him yet to people who haven't come into a relationship with Jesus yet, to people who are on that journey, but Jesus is constantly calling them deeper to come closer, that is still where I find my passion. And I really desire that you would find those same passions too, that you would find the places, the the ways that empower you and build you up as you serve. Because serving is investing in the spiritual growth of other people. I came at 5 a.m. to do, or I left my house at 5 a.m. to do setup at 6 a.m. because I knew that what I was doing was part of people encountering Jesus. I may not have gotten a chance to talk to every person face to face. I still don't even get to do that here. But even then, I knew that what I was doing was part of people encountering Jesus. That is investing in the spiritual growth of others. That is building up. And, and you know, when I was you know, a teenager learning this, I had no idea this was the path my life was going to lead me on. The people who trained me, who taught me, they had no idea that I was going to one day realize that God had been calling me into ministry. We don't know the impact we will have in other people's lives when we serve, but that's why we choose to serve because God has so much potential for people for how he can use each one of us to grow deeper in our walk with him but also reveal his kingdom to our world. And in fact, there's a bonus reason on this as well. And this is something that I find kind of interesting is that modern science is actually confirming that serving others has tangible physical and mental health benefits. This was something that, that fascinated me as I came in the research because it's one more of these examples of wisdom that God has given to us centuries and thousands of years ago and wisdom that the Holy Spirit continually illuminates and gives to us now. Our scientists in our world are going, hey, they're on to something. Now, they often won't admit that. But they'll recognize that when you choose to serve, and there's been studies listed, and I only put three up there, but there's there's 50, 60 more that I could have listed, where scientists and researchers are documenting that choosing to give of yourself in a volunteering capacity on a regular basis reduces stress, reduces depression, reduces anxiety, even reduces hypertension, high blood pressure. Our scientists are realizing what God has been onto from the very beginning, because God wired us and made us to serve. God designed us this way for a purpose, and in fact, our scriptures confirm this. If you go all the way back to Proverbs, an Old Testament book of wisdom, it says this: "The generous will prosper; those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed." And then in Acts twenty thirty five, Paul is quotes Jesus. He says, and I have been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus it is more blessed to give than to receive. That when we give of ourselves, when we give to others, that is actually when we are blessed. This is something the way that God designed us to be in relationship with Him. And so then there's a question How do I serve? How do you actually choose to serve? And here's where I want to slow things down for just a moment, because oftentimes we view serving as like, well, where's a gap I can fill? Where's just a task that needs to get done? And I want to encourage you to go beyond a task-based approach to serving, because God created each one of us uniquely. We have different natural abilities, we have different learned skills, and we all have different spiritual gifts. And if you haven't heard that term before, spiritual gifts, what a spiritual gift is, is it's a specific ability given to all followers of Jesus by the Holy Spirit for the sake of ministering to one another. It is an ability given to you by the Holy Spirit that you have. You may not have discovered it. And these gifts still need to be developed and learned and grown into. You will not be an expert at your spiritual gift the first time you discover what it is and try to use it. And in fact, I'm not going to dive in too deep on spiritual gifts right now because earlier this year we did two sermon series on spiritual gifts. And if this concept is new to you, if this topic is new to you, I want to encourage you to actually go and check out our podcast because we did two series on this. We did one called Giver and Users because the Holy Spirit is the giver of gifts and we are the users of the gifts. And that one is kind of like an introduction to spiritual gifts. And then we did a second series a little while later called Supernatural Gifts where we dug into some of the gifts that make us scratch our heads where we look at it and we go, is that really what God meant? Because these are the gifts that sometimes seem to break the way we think reality should work. And so I want to encourage you that you could check out the podcast, just search for givers and users or supernatural gifts, and I'll put a link in the discussion questions that are on our website after every message, because everyone can use their abilities, their skills, and their spiritual gifts to serve one another. This is how God designed and created us to empower and build another up. He uses everything we have, whether it's an ability, a skill, a gift. We can empower and build others up, and as we do, we collectively draw closer to God. And so there's a question to kind of ask to say, knowing all of this, how will you choose to serve others with your life? And a good place to start I think, is to look at this in kind of two ways. Where can you serve within the church? Because we're called to serve and equip and build up the church. But also, how can we serve beyond the church? How do we serve beyond these four walls? Because God's kingdom is not limited to the physical places where churches meet. That's not true at all. God's kingdom can be everywhere. In fact, Jesus wants our whole world to reflect him. And when we, the church, choose to go beyond our four walls, that's when we actually get to see some of that happen. That's why I'm so proud of our church partnering with U-Turn, because they are one of those organizations that constantly goes beyond the walls of the churches and encounters people that many of us wouldn't encounter on our daily basis. But we can be part of it doing. There are volunteer opportunities with U-Turn. You can talk to Jen about those things too after the service. See, where we choose to serve makes an impact in our lives. It makes an impact in other people's lives. And in fact, it starts to change the culture of our communities, our neighborhoods, our cities. And it's because of this. If we choose to give of ourselves today, if you give of yourself today, you will find out who you'll become tomorrow. Because when we give, it transforms and it shapes our lives. Everything in this series, Simple Church, Has been pushing towards this to say, how do we follow Jesus and let our hearts and our lives be transformed? Because following Jesus isn't about just staying where we are. Following Jesus is about growth. Following Jesus is about transformation. It's about being in community. It's about prayer. It's about serving because all of these things together are simple. We can do them. We can break them down into small steps. But when we do it, it's when the church becomes the church. It's when we start fulfilling the mission that God gave the church, gave to his followers to make disciples of all the nations, to teach people who Jesus is, to tell people about God's love for them. That is what this is about. So I want to ask you this. Are you willing to choose to give of yourself today because you'll find who you're going to become tomorrow? You'll find who God is calling you to be. Let me close with a word of prayer. Holy Spirit, thank you that you created us this way, that you created us with a desire to serve. And Lord, I pray that we would awaken that desire to serve. I pray that you would be stirring in our hearts, that you would be drawing us towards the ways that you want to shape us through serving, but also the ways that you want to empower and build up other people through serving, through giving our lives to you. And so Lord, I pray that you would allow us to see glimpses of what you are doing through when we serve, what you are going to achieve, what you are going to do for your kingdom when we choose to be obedient to what you have called us to do and to serve. In your name we pray, amen. If you're thinking about this and maybe you want to have a conversation about it a little more, on the back of the connect card there's a little spot that says, my next step. And one of the checkboxes to say to join a ministry team. If you check off that box, or even if you just write a comment in and drop it in, one of our team leaders will be in contact with you or I'll be in contact with you to talk about this. How do we find your fit? How do we find the way that God has uniquely equipped you to serve others? And just before we close, I want to wrap, give a little promo of next week because next week we're launching into a new series here together called Dollars and Cents. And for many of us, money can mean different things. For some of us in the room, money is a constant worry. It's something that we are always stressed out about. Or maybe money has become an endless pursuit. It's something that we're always searching for more of. Or maybe for us, when we think about money, it's a management mystery. We don't know how to manage. Money comes in, money goes out. What happens in between? We don't have a clue. Or maybe money is a tool for good. Maybe money is something that we are stewards of to make a difference. And so we're gonna spend four weeks and we're gonna dig through each of those things together. And we're gonna look at what scripture has to say about the wisdom that Jesus has given us about money. And so folks, I wanna encourage you to come, come back for next Sunday. Maybe invite a friend along for this series. It'll be a series that is really tangibly about helping us understand how God designed money to be. So folks, I hope you have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday. We hope this message helped you to take the next step in your faith journey. If you're in the area, we'd love to have you join us Sundays at 11am. You can find out more about us by going to mygrandvalley.ca.